Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Campbell A. Campbell. And today we'll be talking about M. Night Shyamalan's high concept yarn Old, the twists and turns of the Cannes Film Festival, and in Film Club, Claudia Wilde's 1978 gem, Girlfriends. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, Hannah. Back from <laughs> Cannes, I'm sure you're isolating right now? Yeah, <laughs> just about over it now. Just uh, another day, and then I'm free. Free to go out into the blazing sun that <laughs> I'm sure you've been missing <laughs> since coming back from Cannes. We'll be hearing all about your Cannes highlights and lowlights, the pitfalls and everything very shortly. But Cambalay, welcome to the show. It's been a, a while, I think, since you were last on, certainly not since we've relaunched and revamped, and we're using that as an opportunity for all of our returning and regular contributors to reintroduce themselves to the listeners. So, Campbell A. Campbell, who are you? Who, God, who am I, indeed? Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of the Jackie Chan, like, who am I? <laughs> um, well, I'm a, <laughs> well, I'm a film critic and... TV critic and what have you critic I'm based in London um, uh, I kind of think of myself as omnivorous when it comes to this sort of thing but I like particularly to write about animation um, more on the critical side than like the industry itself but a lot of anime and things like that um, to my joy and shame <laughs> Sadly we don't have any anime for you this week but we do have M. Night Shyamalan um, uh, what's, your, what's your history with him? Are you a fan? Yeah, um, I have a strange history with him in that um, not it's not so much that I fell out of favour with him in that sort of rocky middle period of his career in that I just haven't watched any of that stuff. So my opinion of M. Night is quite high <laughs> because I haven't seen a film of his that I've disliked yet. Um, I've recently very recently watched um the village for the first time and um my housemate was just like oh it's terrible it's terrible and he's constantly telling me it's terrible and i'm just i just what i was like you're wrong <laughs> and i left him and my other housemate to argue about that <laughs> while i went to the movies again but yeah i i think he's a very interesting visual filmmaker he always has very um 
he's always very playful in his style. Things like The mm. Visit, I think, was really invigorating for found footage. I think uh, The Village, even among its like very deliberate pacing, does some really um, unnerving stuff with like negative space and is very romantic. And I think he has this undercurrent of sincerity that grounds his films uh, as weird as they get that I think just really clicks into place for me each time. Um, I find him to be one of the more exciting kind of American filmmakers with a budget. <laughs> and so we'll find out in moments how, uh, how his new film old sounds. So we might as well just kick off the new release section of this podcast then. Let's start off with M. Night Shyamalan's Old. So here's a little bit of synopsis. Of course, no spoilers here. Not much detail at all, really, apart from the high concept behind the film. M. Night Shyamalan unveils a chilling, mysterious new thriller about a family on a tropical holiday who discover that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. So, uh, Campbell, you were saying just then how uh, your, your trust levels for M. Night are, are quite high, having missed out on some of the low <laughs> the low points in his career. Uh, how did Old play for you then? I have some reservations about it, but I overall had a really great time with it. Mostly just um, really enjoyed rolling with its deranged energy. <laughs> um, it taking its concept and pushing it to the stupidest logical extremes while keeping everything while making sure that we were all sort of grounded it was really strange in that it's a very uncanny concept mixed with a lot of explanation um but i enjoyed its vibe i enjoyed um how again i enjoyed how playful it was like he's just kind of just putting the camera everywhere <laughs> um and i i don't know his dial dialogue is often like a contested part of his films but at this point so much of Shyamalan's films read as parody to me of sort of a mm. sort of bygone very classical horror so even when the most ridiculous lines hit I was just like yeah of course like <laughs> yeah. like it must be the it must be the minerals in the rocks um and I was just like yeah yeah of course it is <laughs> there's um just a very there's a sincerity and uh Genu genuine that's not a word i don't know it's a, a very um i don't know it's very just on track with what it's saying it doesn't really second guess itself which i think is which is quite refreshing to me yeah personally so to draw back the curtain on this podcast for a second i've not yet seen old in fact hannah cam you've both come straight <laughs> from the screening to give us uh, hot off the press some hot takes on this film what i like about m night Shyamalan is even at his worst he is playing with toys in in the the big cupboard of cinematic techniques that you don't often get to enjoy very often anymore he loves suspense he loves cliffhangers high concepts um very much in the vein of, of, of hitchcock of old school twilight zone type storytelling techniques so there's always something there for me um, hannah wh where do you sit with him and his films because uh, he had his very quick rise to to fame with sixth sense then quick descent into infamy for a good few films and then with split and glass feels like he's now almost on an even keel maybe where do you sit yeah i mean i when i was younger um i remember we had to watch the sixth sense at school when i was in year seven 
for like a sort of, I think it was, a we, they were teaching us about narrative. And I think it is like a good example of like, you know, when when you're 11, that film blows your mind. You're like, what? He was a ghost the whole time. Like, you know, you're just kind of like, you can't believe it. Um, and I find him like his, his sort of Wikipedia IMDb is very funny to me because it's like, you know, he did his... Um, uh, he did his first film, which I've not actually seen, which I think was a comedy uh, called Wide Awake. But then the, my favourite things on his IMDb are like, yeah, he did rewrites on She's All That and Stuart Little. <laughs> it's like this guy, like he just has one of those careers that I find like joyful. Like, it just it really like I, he seems like a guy who genuinely loves the movies. And I think sometimes I don't get that impression from people who work with the kind of budgets that he usually commands I get a sense of them just being kind of like you know in it for more the business side whereas I think M. Night is someone who deeply cares and like Campbell said there's a deep sort of sincerity to his work uh, we did go through a rough patch I remember going to see Lady in the Water in cinemas and I hated it so much I just oh, I could not stand that film and then I like many people didn't think the happening was very good and I have I never saw the last Airbender, but I think like it's university kind of acknowledged that it's it's very bad. Um, but then I really liked the visit, and I I like what did I like Split? I go back and forth on that um, on Split, but I, I I actually yeah I wrote the review for Glass for Little White Lies, and um, I think I said in the review that it's like it's not necessarily a good film, but it is a very like entertaining film. And that is kind of where I fall with old as well. I think like M. Night makes, I'm always interested in what this guy's up to. I always want to watch his movies. And that is more than you can say for so many filmmakers. I'm always kind of curious. I always know, I, I always feel like I'm going to have a good time going into an M. Night film. When I just love seeing him show up in his little cameos. He cannot resist. Um, <laughs> I was actually just going to say a completely irrelevant fact, but I think one of the last podcasts the truth of movies podcast i did was about glass and <laughs> i had that very similar thing where it was just like i knew i was in for a good time regardless and then and it was funny that in that my joy in watching glass came from him setting up this very ostentatious like cinematic universe like so many want to do at the moment and then just completely just deflates it <laughs> in, in the funniest possible manner with that ending um, which I don't know if we're I don't know if we're beyond the statute of limitations of spoilers on that one, but it's just like the most hilariously downbeat <laughs> note that it could possibly do. Uh, glasses, glasses, great glass piece, I think. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure there isn't much you can tell us about old before we stray into spoiler territory, perhaps. But maybe to start off with, since he had that comeback with. The visit where he put his own money on the line he made a you know a film that could play as a low budget blumhouse horror film with a twist and then split for the majority of that film had a similar you know straight straight laced feel to it until in the last moments he brings in <laughs> bruce willis as a cameo and then glass he just says great now oh. i can <laughs> bring all of these films back together, call back to Unbreakable, as you said, Cam, this cinematic universe that he's introducing and subverting. Where does Old land? Is this him on the level or is this him going full tilt? I think um, in, in a lot of places he swings for the fences again. Narratively, it feels a bit... In, in places it feels a lot like 
something he would make and in places it's a bit unexpected like in some places it's very straightforward i think but then in others it does a very similar thing to the village in that it builds this sense of mystique around everything that's happening and it's all very uncanny and weird and it draws your attention to these things that you're not ever at points you're not sure if it'll be explained but then after a point the answers sort of just come tumbling out and uh, not all of them are very satisfying and it's not a satisfying thing to witness having these things answered and it's like you feel like you could do with some of the mystery just being preserved but at the same time he's just doing this absolutely bonkers stuff uh, with the concept like um, there's this unbelievable <laughs> set piece that capitalizes on the fact that it's a beach where people's bodies are rapidly aging and that includes a lot of different things about the body so um, trying to withhold um a bit here but so there's an impromptu surgery that needs to be done and it's nigh impossible because the body is moving in time so fast that the incision immediately closes up and he just makes an absolute meal out of that moment Mm. and does a lot of it not even kind of showing all of the gory detail and that's where it comes back into really feeling like an M. Night film for me where he's doing a lot just with what we don't see and in that respect, I think teaming him up with, um, I can't, I don't think I can pronounce his surname, but the cinematographer, uh, Mike um, Gilakis, um, who worked with Jordan Peele on Us, who so is doing his, his past work, it does a lot of similar stuff where in Us, it was always something out of the corner of your eye. Um, so it just feels like a perfect pairing in that in these two and they get getting to play around together and then do some unexpected stuff like it's a lot more chaotic at points than i'm used to um the um you know you know what i mean where it's like he has these very still films and this kind of breaks out to these moments of just utter panic uh and the camera's sort of racing around in ways that i don't expect from him so like what in 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 putting it shortly is that it's yes and no for a typical <laughs> film um it surprised me in places and then some bits just i was just like this makes this is exactly the kind of thing that i want and expect from a film of his <laughs> H- hannah is this a yes and no film for you or how do you <laughs> how does it play for you yeah that i think that's like the perfect way to describe it really because there are some moments in fact there's a kind of the whole i would say from about 10 minutes in up until maybe around the 50 minute mark I was kind of like really fully on board and I think it goes at quite a pace and like Campbell says like the the camera work is fascinating because there's so many things happening on this beach you know there's uh, three different couples and then there's the kids as well and so a lot of things start to happen at once and the camera's kind of like wheeling around, like following, you know, these different characters running in and out. And there's a wonderful shot where one of them like runs into the cave and you get like a little bit of like, um, uh, like uh, GoPro, I guess. Like just a tiny, like not too much, but it, it did feel very like kind of, oh, okay. Very, very random in kind of a fun way. Um, but then... For me, like, I know it's a bit of a cliche to expect, like, a really good twist from M. Night, but I I was expecting, like, a, a great twist, and I don't think that this film necessarily has that, like, trademark M. Night, like, 
moment where you're like, oh, I can't believe he's done this. <laughs> about it, you know, um, but there were lots of things that I I thought were very kind of entertaining and I will say like full credit to the cast like because I think they are like really going for it even when some of the dialogue doesn't necessarily do them many favors and there's so much like exposition packed into it that they have to be like you know so now we're all aging oh no (laughs) it's just like it, it is not how human beings talk to one another but um they're all like so deeply committed to it and I I think one of the most impressive things to me was like the casting of the kids. So they have like um, all the kids at different ages because obviously they age much more rapidly than the adults. And the the likeness is like pretty uncanny. I don't know how they managed to get like such good kind of um, people that look so similar at different ages. But I was just like marveling at that for a lot of people. I was like, wow, they really do look like they've aged like that amount rather than like, you know, kind of bad, like Benjamin Button-esque prosthetics. They actually did some really great I think casting. There was a really. Um, it's funny because he's a very funny filmmaker. Like M Night's got jokes. Like I will say that much. <laughs> but there's a very deeply sad thing about the film. And I, and since we're indulging in cliches, um, it's the maybe the most emotionally accurate reflection of COVID that I have seen. Um, in that the whole it's very on its face that the premise of the film is people having their lives literally stolen from them you see these kids just like have their lives raced by them and one just kind of pauses and reflects like I'm not going to have a graduation (laughs) and that that just kind of very much struck me uh, as an emotional note but it's all very like Hannah said it's all very heightened and I think that will go your mileage may vary (laughs) um, with that much (laughs) but I did there is one unimpeachable point in the film and it's that it's amazing that they called a rapper mid-sized sedan (laughs) 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 it's the way he the way he like somebody says to him like what's your name and he just goes like very sincerely he goes mid-sized sedan and it's like it's just it's just so funny and and yeah like like Cavalier says M. Night has got jokes and like I think because of how sincere he is in his filmmaking they really land because you're just like oh okay (laughs) They, they, they work in they work even in the moment of this very heightened stress like um one guy just insisting, just like, you, like, look, you guys know I didn't do that. <laughs> and there's a sort of guilty party that there's, there's some race, there's some very obvious, I would hardly call them undertones actually, because there's a very sort of uh, racialized dynamic between one member and a guy who, um, there's a, it's the guy who's always saying that he is uh, the chief medical officer and it's a proper um, <laughs> English man. And he has this, yeah, it's, racial... It's- it's another um, Rufus Saw playing the bad guy role, which he's really good at and does it with such a plum. And I think in The Father and then in this, it's like, oh, Rufus Saw, you know when he comes on the scene, like something shifty is going to happen. <laughs> I didn't know where my train of thought was going with that, but I thought it was, um, yeah, even in the moments where he's dealing with very serious stuff, uh, like just this guy's obvious and hateful suspicion of like the only black man on the beach and uh, it's sort of not even diffused by a one-liner, but that dynamic is emphasised by it. Like just bit, someone just being like, "I don't like this at all," <laughs> and it and it works. I think. I think. Yeah, I think he's got a very good sense of humour that just carries throughout this film. So it sounds like there's humour in there at least. But uh, what scores would we put on this film, Campbell? I'll come to you first. In anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect, um, four in anticipation because i love me some m night 
um, for an enjoyment because I did have a really great time watching it. Um, even though it's not long after the screening, I'm gonna I'm maybe thinking a three in retrospect because, um, funnily enough, for a film about aging, you do kind of feel the length a little bit. Um, <laughs> and it, like I said before, I think it could have stood to lean a little more into an, its, its an uncanniness and not feel the need to explain absolutely everything about itself. Um, but I will take him swinging for the fences, like over your bog standard blockbuster, like any day of the week. Hannah? Uh, yeah, sim- similar scores. It's I think it's a, a four, four, three for me. I can't say it's one I'm dying to kind of go and see again. And I do think that a lot of his films do have like a re- rewatch value. I'm really, really eager to rewatch The Village and Signs, which are two that I remember really liking at the time. I'm very into his like Joaquin Phoenix era. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I just feel like there's maybe something missing here. Um, it does raise some interesting questions that maybe like I don't think we've seen M. Night maybe tackle before, like the idea of kind of um, <laughs> not 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 to spoil anything, but there's a, a whole kind of uta- utilitarian like kind of like sub theme going on and you know kind of like oh what what do we sacrifice in the name of like the greater good and it's yeah it is an interesting film for sure and I would definitely recommend it to people. I think in a packed cinema, it will play over very well. I think there'll be a lot of kind of like cheering and like gross out like cries. So yeah, uh, but I think uh, like a four four three for me. Well, listeners, there you have it. M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Old, is in cinemas this weekend. If you do watch it and discover its various twists and turns, let us know what you think at the usual channels, at Lies on Twitter, or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email. Up next, it's out with the old and in with the new, the brand spanking new, that is, with the freshly premiered delights of the Cannes Film Festival. 1 size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. 
Yes, Hannah, we talked about this up top. You have just recently returned from the Cannes Film Festival. It sounds like you were really spoiled this year for good films, right? Yeah, it was... um, I didn't really know what to expect because I think, obviously, you know, film festivals have kind of been in a bit of a strange position during COVID and... um, I don't think necessarily the lineups have been as good as they probably normally would be. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, distributors who are still not so keen on the virtual format. And it's kind of like, well, well, why would I premiere my film at a virtual festival when I could just put it on my own video on demand platform? So I do get it. Uh, But can, yeah, it was after a lot of um, back and forth and kind of thinking it, would get cancelled last minute um it miraculously did go ahead and was a very strong year i think even talking to some kind of um more seasoned festival goers there was a sense that actually they did put together a pretty pretty great lineup all things considered Hmm. tell me about these films do you have a top five ready to go (laughs) um i do i do so um i i my fa- I'll tell you my, my favourite thing I saw and then the other things I think are kind of just like mm-hmm. in no particular order. Uh, but the, my, my favourite thing I saw was um, The Worst Person in the World, which is the new um, right. Joachim Trier film. I think also like deserves a, an award for being the kind of um, the best titled film at the festival. I think it's a very funny title for a film. Um, and I'm sure we'll obviously cover this again in upcoming months but it is um a kind of a romantic comedy drama i would say about a woman called julie or julia and she lives in stockholm and she's just navigating her love life her career and it's very funny very touching i think very um it explores the kind of like divide between millennials and gen x's in a way that i thought was very kind of like well observed and I just had a really good time with it I wasn't expecting to kind of be as into it as I was I think that uh Renata Rainsiva I think that's how you pronounce her name who plays the lead character she won the um best actress award at Cannes she's magnificent I hope that she kind of goes on to a big starry career even though she looks so much like Dakota Johnson it is like uncanny um but yeah, that was definitely kind of number one. Um, and then the others, I was a big fan of Titan, the uh, Julia Decona film, which of course won the Palm. Um, very hard one to kind of talk about without giving anything away because it's very <laughs> sort of, um, it, it's complex, but also quite simple <laughs> in terms of like what happens. But um you kind of don't want to dumb it down to its like shockworthy moments, which also have largely been spoiled by people on Twitter who should know better. Um, but yeah, just like she's someone that I've followed since um, Raw and was really kind of excited to see her um, do this, yeah, uh, amazing sophomore f- feature. Uh, and then the kind of other three after Yang by Koganada. Uh, his again mm-hmm. a, a second feature which I thought was very impressive about a family who are kind of mourning their robot uh, family member which is really great uh, Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta 
which was, uh, you know, everyone's been talking about that for years because it's been so delayed. Um, his like non-sploitation romp, which was just the most fun to kind of watch in a packed cinema. It was just a, an absolute hoot. Uh, the man is insane and I really love love that for him love that full stop uh, and then uh, Jacques Audiard's Paris uh, 13th district which again like a romantic drama comedy which I was amazed I liked because I really hated Rust and Bone uh, so I was quite nervous about him going back to that sort of like romantic territory but now I thought it was amazing um, another like great new find in Lucy Zhang who was 19 when she um shot this film she's the lead character so yeah um and that's like barely scratching the surface there's so so much good stuff like Bergman Island was great the French Dispatch was great really just an embarrassment of riches Annette like yeah I could go on all day there's just so many things I saw that I love <laughs> you could go on and on and on yeah and listeners you can check out lwis.com for all the reviews from Cannes from Hannah, Sophie Max Kaufman, Mark Ash, David Jenkins. I wrote a review of the uh, Todd Haynes documentary about the Velvet Underground, which I thought was terrific, but was perhaps not as uh, glitzy and as uh, <laughs> tempting as some of the other films on offer. Uh, Campbell, have you been, uh, have you succumbed to any of the Cannes hype? Is there anything that premiered out there that you can't wait to see? So I've kept uh, I've set my head somewhat buried in the sand out of jealousy because I was previously accredited for Cannes, so I'm just like, I can't hear anyone having a good time. <laughs> like, um, but uh, in particular, I was really, I'm really excited to see Mamoru Hosoda's Bell. Um, Mamoru Hosoda being an uh, animation director who I really love. Another another Campbell podcast fact, my first little Truth Movies episode was on Mirai, his last film. Um, <laughs> um, but he has these um, running themes of um, family and like kind of young romance and the internet and how it changes how we interact with each other that uh, have run through his previous work, like Summer Wars, which I really love, and bell seems like a sort of all of these sensibilities of his dovetailing um with each other and with other creators that i love like i know that tom warren ross stewart from cartoon saloon did background work for the sort of animated world the architect eric wong designed the concepts for it there's just so many different creative talents working on this feature and i can't wait like and after the premiere, I think it was like two people I knew who were at Cannes just text me, just being like, you're going to love it. So I uh, hype is through the roof for that. Uh, <laughs> nobody has been helping. Um, that was that. And then there was another animated <laughs> film about mountain climbing, which I think people will be less interested in, but it's called The Summit of the Gods, based on a manga by Jiro Taniguchi, and it rocks. <laughs> you're, you're speaking my language there. Um, Jiro Taniguchi, I'm a big fan of his manga, and uh, that looks like a really great adaptation. And Belle, you know, I, I saw Mirai at, at Cannes a couple of years ago, and it's just great to see her sort of going from strength to strength. It's just, oh, yeah, just too much to be excited about, really. All these films coming our way in the next 12 months. Can't wait to see some of them. Hannah, thank you for picking out your highlights. I would ask you for your scores, but it's not film. <laughs> what scores would you give the Cannes <laughs> Film Festival? <laughs> I'd give it five five five. Yeah, it was it was so good. I'm I'm already um, messaging my Airbnb host, like saying, "Hey, can we come back next year?" Because I had such a brilliant time. 
I would like to go well, there. Well, we will. We look forward to hearing what you make of the films <laughs> next year if you do go out there. Then, so <laughs> listeners, uh, let us know what you think about any films from Cannes that you're very keen to see. Uh, the usual channels. But up next, we're going all the way back to the late 1970s for Film Club this week. Claudia Viles, Girlfriends. So, Girlfriends is back in cinemas this week thanks to Park Circus, and here's a bit of blurb from them. When her best friend and roommate abruptly moves out to get married, Susan, who's trying to be an artist while making ends meet as a bar mitzvah photographer on Manhattan's Upper West Side, finds herself adrift in both life and love. So this film is from the late 1970s, very much with the new Hollywood era where we think we know everything about American cinema at the time, but this is something of a undiscovered, rediscovered gem. It seems to be wheeled out every now and then as one of those must-see films from the period that you've unlikely seen before. Um, Hannah, was this a first watch, a rewatch for you of Girlfriends? Um, I actually saw it for the first time, I think, in 2017. Um, the BFI did a screening as part of, like, there was some sort of um, female kind of focused uh, little, like, weekender and I went to see it then and I loved it. I'd never heard of it before. And I took a friend of mine and we were both just like, what is this movie? Why have we never seen this? Because it is, it really captures something that I think a lot of other films have touched upon since. Um, I think that like Frances Ha is probably like the closest modern um, uh, parallel you could get. And I think that Greta Gerwig has said like she was inspired uh, to an extent by Girlfriends and by Claudia Vile. Um but yeah, I think it's just a very well-observed, very funny, very poignant look at like female friendship and the way that your kind of lives can diverge in your like uh, your you know your your twenties and early thirties. I think it's not something that maybe you think about when you're kind of you think I've made it to adulthood. That's that's it now. All my problems are kind of like you know I've got my friends and we'll be friends until the end and then you know you realize as you know they get older and people start getting married and having babies and moving out of town and you know you choose the other path and they focus on your work it's just like it's a very relevant kind of uh, topic no matter what uh, era you're living in and I think um that gives it this kind of like that's probably why it keeps getting wheeled out every few years because i think it is still like very it feels very contemporary but then also it is like so keenly observing the period it's set in where women did really have to choose if they wanted to pursue a career or get married and have kids there was no kind of uh, opportunity to have it all so i think like it's it's just a very like <laughs> I was gonna say competent, but that sounds like a diss. But that's not, you know, that's not what I mean. I, I mean, it's just it, women it's, can make movies it's very, too. Um... <laughs> 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 oh god, I'm part of the problem. Um, it it is just it's 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 hard to put into words. Kind of how how much it just hits the nail on the head. I think like it's you know it's one of those films that I like love sharing with other people now, especially other women, because I think it is just everyone who's been through this kind of experience, like, even, I'm sure it applies to men as well, but, like, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, this is it, like, Claudia gets it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was very fortunate to watch this at the BFI when Gemma Desai, back then, was programming, and she she put on a a really 
great screening of this that was very well curated and all of the program notes and everything situated it in its in its time in its era in its context but what's what's amazing is from the first frame how thrilling and contemporary it is as, as a film relevant to so many filmmakers that we talk about week in week out on this podcast i don't think you know noah baumbach would have a career if it weren't for films like this <laughs> this definitely feels like a, a a forerunner for many of his films like squid, you know, squid and the whale all the way up to the work that works he does with with greta gerwig or, or or that greta gerwig does solo as well it just if even on on this rewatch it made me think a lot about TV series that we're having right now about these individual female characters in the, the big city um, navigating friendships and relationships at that age between the late 20s early 30s for, you know series like you know girls and Russian doll I may destroy you uh, starstruck or I was thinking of Tuca and Bertie. Tuca and Bertie. <laughs> Classic. Bringing animation into I, the conversation cam. What... That's what you do. Always. <laughs> I didn't realise, I mean, I, I'm not like a big fan of girls, but I didn't realise until I was doing research for this podcast that um, Nina Dunham hadn't seen Girlfriends until she already started work on Girls. But then she loved Girlfriends so much, she asked Claudia Vile to direct an episode. And Claudia Vile hadn't worked oh, since wow. 2001 or something. So it was, that's kind of, I think, like... you know Lena Dunham does a lot of problematic things but I think like giving someone like Claudia Val an opportunity to kind of come back after you know she from the sound of it she just kind of like never got the opportunities that a lot of her peers got a lot of her male peers especially and this was someone who like in the you know when the film came out like Stanley Kubrick was saying this film's amazing and yet you know here she is now all this time later still people being like oh yeah what about girlfriends (laughs) it is it is just such a injustice that someone could make such an, an amazing film and it kind of constantly gets held up as like an undiscovered gem <laughs> it's so strange that uh, a film that feels like such a bedrock to so many stories about american women just kind of gets lost again as in like um there's so many ge- different it feels like there's generations of women filmmakers who have these beloved films and then disappear like doors of the dust Dash and yeah like Shell Dunley's uh, The Watermelon Woman as well like and the, yeah it is like I mean it, it's why it's great that we have people um and companies like Park Circus who do kind of make sure these films get out to like you know the big screen again and hopefully like people you know young people will go and watch this and like it'll kind of ignite an interest in not only Claudio Vile but like other kind of contemporary filmmakers uh female filmmakers also like you know, like Hamlet says, like Julie Dash and Cheryl Dunyer, because I think as much as like, you know, white uh, female filmmakers have been overlooked, even more so, like, you know, kind of uh, black filmmakers and filmmakers of colour have been even more overlooked. So, you know, I think it's a really important film and I'm so glad it's getting the love it deserves. But I also think it's like we need to kind of keep pushing that forward and make sure that there are more filmmakers who get that treatment. It can't just be the same film getting rediscovered yeah. over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I will make one small shout out. I mean, this is a film of many delights. I love the supporting cast here, particularly the the, the men. Yeah. Because as you say, this is an independent film. Claudia Vile made this in sort of fits and starts when she got funding together. Uh, lots of uh, various grants that, that, uh, that she put into this. But 
you wouldn't think that it was a, a low-budget indie film because it has you know three very recognisable household name actors in Bob Balaban. Um, it also has Eli Wallach uh, dur- during the phase when he you know didn't look like Good, Bad, and the Ugly, but he wasn't the ancient man that he is in the holiday. Um, but then for me, the absolute highlight is uh, Lord Christopher Guest in the years before Spinal Tap and before he you know, found his own voice as a filmmaker, popping up here as the sort of on-off boyfriend of the main character. So it's yeah. those characters are so well cast and so well observed that there's such a tapestry here of, of delights. Cam, I realise you, 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 we didn't hear much from you on this. You mentioned Tucumberti. Do you want to quickly elaborate on that and what you thought of the film? Um, it was mainly in the film's covering of learning how to be alone after forming a very close friendship with someone, which is what struck me about that. Um, Tuka and Bertie is obviously like kind of very colourful, but at its core it is a show that is about these two women learning how to sort of separate their lives from each other, one a little bit more than the other. But um, it, you know, it struck me in that sense, and I think it's just generally a very amazing portrait of like what it is to live by yourself in the city like some bits were kind of scary some bits it's like uh where you can sort of see our independence flourishing and things like that and then sometimes when you just bump into weirdos by yourself like the uh, the moment with the taxi driver just being like it's about time i think that women got treated like first class citizens i thought it was really funny <laughs> um but i think yeah very like i said very keenly observed um, very often beautiful film well they have it listeners Claudia Vile's Girlfriend's back in cinemas this weekend, thanks to Park Circus. I think it's a strong recommendation from the three of us. Go and see this, and hopefully it's just one step in the journey of discovering all of these um, hidden gems in the history of cinema that don't get the, the limelight they deserve. Let us know what you think if you do see Girlfriends or any of the films we talked about this week. Email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Cam. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. Next week, we're talking The Suicide Squad. We have music documentary The Sparks Brothers and director Edgar Wright is popping by to talk music documentaries as well. And Film Club is one of the films that Edgar Wright cites when we asked him what his favourite music documentaries are. And that is Anvil, the story of Anvil. Subscribe to us wherever you pod. And if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love it if you left one for us. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.